Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lawcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter, at MMALOTN. This week, we're going to be going over UFC Ottawa, which is headlined by Cowboy Cerrone versus Ally Quinta in a very pivotal lightweight matchup here. Uh, very excited for this fight. I think it's going to be fucking fireworks. Um, we're going to be skipping the casuals this week. Uh, I got a little bit of a tight schedule today, so I just want to wrap this up as much as I can, uh, but as efficiently as possible for you guys as well. Uh, but first, as always, let's go over or second normally because first is usually the casuals. So second, I normally like to uh, go over our uh, last event. So um, the fucking woes continue. You know I mean, the woes continue. That's three straight losing events. Um uh, uh, it's 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 a tough spot, you know what I mean. So, let's let's go over this quick. We got uh, my dog of the night play, which was actually a plus money parlay on Glover Teixeira. So my only W, uh, which is still nullified by a loss in the second leg of the parlay, came uh, with uh, Glover Teixeira beating Ian Kutalaba. You know what I mean, I I thought that was pretty much the way that Glover was gonna win. Um, you know, it's always scary when he's eating these bombs for some of these guys like Ian Kutalaba. Um, but you know, his chin held up, uh, there were a few sketchy spots, but once he got his paws on Ian Kutilaba and got this fight to the ground, I thought it was pretty much a wrap. So I was happy to, to get that victory with Glover. A part of me feels like I wish I, I played that straight. Um, but you know, it's, it's learning experience. Um, but I'll get to that point afterwards. Uh, second fight on, or second leg of that parlay was uh, John Lineker versus Corey Sanhagen. Very close fight. You know what I mean? I'm not going to bitch about it being a, a robbery of any sort. You know what I mean? I could see it. Um, uh, I can see a, an argument for both sides. Uh, so I'm not going to be a complete little bitch and, you know, cry my eyes out at the fact that I lost this split decision. So, uh, you know, the the fight doesn't go Lineker's way. It kind of went the way most people thought it would. You know what I mean? I thought that uh, Lineker was probably even going to be able to land a big enough shot on Corey to put him on Queer Street and just, you know, take the fight that way. But, you know, Corey did a good job of sticking and moving. Uh, great movement. Uh, was able to land the, the more consistent shots here. Um, and... I think John Lineker just took a little bit too many breaks, but that's just how he fights. I mean, he throws with heat. Sometimes the decision goes his way. Sometimes it doesn't, and this time it didn't. So, unfortunately, loss for Lineker, a little bit of a setback there. Uh, but a lot of big things come for Corey Sandhagen, uh, according to a lot of people. So, I'm excited to see where this win puts him uh, and who he could be facing next. Uh, next up, we had my lock of the night play, which was Court McGee versus Diego Lima. I have a slight gripe with this one. Um... I saw a lot of people scoring it for Lima, so I, I can understand the fact that, you know, even though he was the one moving back, he was landing the bigger shots. Uh, he was landing a little bit more consistently as well. Court McGee was throwing a lot of leg kicks, um, pressuring a lot. You know what I mean? He he did that thing that kind of like uh, Sergey Pavlovich did, which is what I talked about a couple of weeks ago, in terms of doing a lot of good footwork, in terms of uh, pressuring his guy and staying in front of him um, and keeping his opponent on the back foot, but just not throwing a lot. You know what I mean? So that's that's where I would probably give Diego the advantage here. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head which round I I could have seen an argument for Court McGee, which was the first or the second. And the third one is kind of a toss-up. You know what I mean? Like in the last 10 seconds, Court McGee drops Diego Lima but just can't finish him. Uh, however, that's the most significant things to happen in the the entire fight. So you could possibly give the round to Court McGee due to the, the significance of the, the knockdown and and, you know, again, Diego Lima pretty much picked apart Court McGee in that round and, 
and had a lot of success, but it was like long and drawn out. There wasn't much. There, there was never a moment in time where you thought that Court McGee was going to get finished or anything like that. However, Court McGee presented that situation or that scenario of a possible finish, but you know maybe a little bit too late. Um, so uh, that one really t- was tough. Um, I thought Court McGee would have a little bit of an easier ch- uh, time getting Diego Lima down. Uh, that was not the case here. You know, Diego Lima seemed to work on his takedown defense a little bit better. Um, and I think that, you know, Yushno Kami and Jesse Taylor, I think they're just stronger wrestlers than Court McGee, uh, which why which is why they were able to overpower Diego Lima and get him down. Uh, but I, I really thought that Court McGee was going to have the advantage here in terms of pushing Diego Lima back towards the cage, uh, grappling, you know, with the cage right there, the cage clinch, uh, and then eventually dragging Diego Lima down. However, Diego Lima did a great job of securing his underhooks in those positions and eventually getting himself to uh, break free from the clinch and then get to a range which is more comfortable for him to throw his strike. So it fucking sucked, man. Like, I, it, it really hurts, uh, especially when I know, like, a lot of people trust my opinion and trust my, my, my reads. Uh, and to go on this skid right now is just... It's a bitch, um, but I know that I'm, again, I know that I'm resilient enough to come back from these things, and and uh, I think that I'll have to change my my strategy a little bit. You know what I mean? I, th- I, th- I love my locker than I play type of thing and my dog than I play, but I might just have to go out there and, and make, like, just regular bets. You know what I mean? One to three unit bets. Um like the Glover to share spot for for an example, I probably should have bet that straight. You know what I mean? Uh, the reason I parlayed it with Lineker is I wanted to get that plus money to so I could essentially call it a dog money play or a dog of the night play. However, like maybe a two unit to two point five unit stab on Glover to share straight probably would have been the play here, and I would have you know cut the loss a little bit, but still would have been a loss at the end of the day with that Court McGee L. Um, so don't be surprised to see some regular bets um, coming your way more so. Uh, like I'll still classify my lock of the night play and my dog of the night plays, uh, but you'll still you will see some just regular one to three unit plays from now on. So uh, I think this next card UFC Auto has a, a very good uh, spot to make some of these one to three unit plays, which are just seen as regular plays. So uh, don't be surprised to see that. Um, uh, when I release my bets for this week, which I haven't made any yet, uh, but I do definitely see a lot of spots here. There's a lot of close lines here um, and some very intriguing spots. So let me let me get down to that for you guys uh, in terms of just quick thoughts on this card. Uh, you know, there's some names sprinkled throughout it. It's a Canadian card, so you're going to get a lot of Canadian guys on here. Your co-main eventing is uh, Derek Brunson and Elias Theodoru. Intriguing fight there. Um, Brad Katona, another Canadian, going up against Mirab Devalishvili. Uh, what else do we got? Uh, the debut, UFC debut of double champ from TKO, Marc-Andre Berriot, uh, Berriot, sorry, against Andrew Sanchez, Sarah Morass coming back against Macy Chieson, uh, Eamon Zahabi coming back after getting KO'd by, uh, Ricardo, La- Ricardo Ramos, I should say. Um, debut of Kyle Prepelik on short notice against another Canadian in Nordine Taleb. Kyle Nelson coming back, Arjun Buller, uh, and Mitch Gagnon, the return of Mitch Gagnon. So, uh, decent card all around. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see it. Uh, the one shitty thing about these next two events is, uh, I'm going to be going on a road trip actually, uh, this coming Friday. 
So I'll be on the road during the next two UFC events, driving to and from uh, Saskatchewan, uh, all the way from Toronto. So it's going to be a great trip, in my opinion. I can't fucking wait for it. But uh, I'm going to have to wait till I, you know, finally arrive to my destination before I get into these UFC events. So I unfortunately won't be watching these guys live. Uh, but uh, you know, just stay tuned. Uh, well, not even stay tuned. I, I will catch up and then uh, see you guys on Twitter probably the next day. But you guys are here for the breakdowns. You guys are here for my predictions and my analysis. So let's just get the fuck into it. Um, again, I told you this might not be a, a super long episode, uh, but I'll get to everything as best as I can. Uh, the one that I'll probably spend the least amount of time on is the one that's kicking off the card. We got Mitch Gagnon against Cole Smith. Mitch Gagnon coming here uh, off of a whew, very hefty layoff. Um, it's almost closing in on two and a half years. His last uh, win, or sorry, his last fight was against Matthew Lopez. Ooh. So there might be a couple of yawns in this episode. <laughs> Not because of the fighters or the fights or anything like that, but um, Game of Thrones last night. You know what I mean? <laughs> I stayed up at till about 11.30 or so, uh, and then I got work the next morning at 6.30, which means I got to be up at 5 a.m. So not trying to make any excuses, but just, you know, give me a pass on some of these yawns that I'm going to be uh, having throughout this event, uh, throughout this podcast. But anyway, get, getting back to uh, Mitch Gagnon, he lost a decision to Matthew Lopez way back at UFC 206. Um, that was December of 2016. Before that, he had another two-year layoff uh, where he fought Henan Barrow uh, and then lost in the third round of that fight. Um, so his last win hasn't been since October of 2014. That's fucking nuts. That is insane. Uh, he beat Roman Salazar back then, um, which set him up for that Henan Barrow fight, which would have been a big win for him at the time, considering that Henan Barrow was considered still uh, the monster of the division. Um, so... Uh, unfortunate little run for Mitch Gagnon. You know, he's he's a good... Uh, I believe he's uh, good with his jiu-jitsu. Um, it's just going to be very interesting to see how he comes back from such a long layoff. Somebody or two guys that we saw recently coming back from uh, extensive layoffs were uh, Mus- uh, Magomed Mustafaev and uh, Alexander Yakovlev. Both came out on the winning end. You know, both were able to get finishes and, and put themselves back on the map. Is Mitch Gagnon going to be able to do this? It's a decent, decently favored, favored matchup here for him against uh, Cole Smith. Uh, the one unfortunate part about Cole Smith is that there's not much tape out there, unless you want to spend a couple, you know, spend some money. Uh, he fought Tyler Wilson in his last fight, uh, who's a guy that I'm very familiar with from like way back in the amateur scene. Uh, you know, I went to a lot of amateur fights that he was fighting on way back or out in Montreal. Uh, but you know, speaking of Cole Smith, he's you know he's six and zero. All wins by finish except one. Uh, fighting decent competition here. I mean, he's fighting at his level per se. So he's, his what opponent's combined record is uh, 8, 10, 15, 18, 18, and 18 and 8. That's what it looks like. So not too bad. Not, you know, the worst competition out there. Um, Jamie Siraj is a name that I recognize. Uh, decent win for him there. Uh, it's just hard to put on, put our finger on what he brings to the table due to the fact that there's not much really out there. Um, 
Yeah, I'm going to take Mitch Gagnon here by choke. Uh, but I, I just would not bet this fight. I mean, I, there's too many uncertainties with Cole Smith out there, and not to mention, you know, the the extensive layoff that Mitch Gagnon is coming back from. Uh, he came back from that extensive layoff uh, after the Barra fight and lost to Matthew Lopez. So maybe it, these layoffs do affect him even worse uh, than they do guys like Magomed Mustafayev or Alexander Yakovlev. So I'm, I'll still take uh, Mitch Gagnon probably by second round submission, uh, but definitely. A pass in my books. I did not even change any of the goddamn slides. <laughs> so, bam. There's your Mitch Gagnon and Cole Smith. And then we're moving right along to Arjun Buller versus Juan Adams. So, Arjun Buller. Arjun Singh Buller, I should be saying for my Punjabi brethren. Brethren? <laughs> uh, he's coming off a victory over Marcelo Gom. Uh, before that, he took his first ever career loss, which was to Adam Wizerchek. Uh, Wizerek, sorry. Fuck. Um, he looked good in that Marcelo Gom fight. My only qualm with that fight uh, is the fact that, uh, you know, Marcelo Gom had that busted up foot in the last round. It would have been interest interesting to see how that fight could have been different considering all the heavy leg kicks that Marcelo Gomes was able to land on Arjun Bullet throughout that fight. I think that his his mobility and his aggression were greatly impacted by the fact that he was not able to use that right foot um, as effectively as he was in the prior rounds, uh, which is why I believe that Arjun Bullet, you know, managed to run away with that decision victory uh, near the end of the fight. Um we know what to expect with Buller. You know he has a he has a good wrestling game. He has a good, uh, at least, uh, a lot of good credentials when it comes to wrestling. Um, his hands look decent. You know what I mean? Um, for somebody who's been primarily a wrestler for their entire life, his hands are coming well, coming along pretty well. Um, my main concern here against Juan Adams, who is a very green guy in my opinion, you know, that Crystal La Rocha fight was way closer than it should have been. Um, but the fact that Juan Adams is a ridiculous size, <laughs> like he's one of the biggest guys to ever fight in the UFC in terms of like he's 6'5", uh, and he, I've seen him on Twitter saying he walks around at like 290, 295 or something, which is just fucking ridiculous. Um, but that Chris De La Rocha fight was way closer than it needed to be. It went all the way to the third round. You know I mean, Chris De La Rocha is pretty much a punching bag. But if the guy's not going down, you know, Juan Adams has a little bit of time struggling with this. So even though he got this, uh, the finish in round three here uh, with about a minute into it, um, it was very discouraging to see how gassed he was. You know, Crystal Orocho was really gassed too. But, you know, if you want to take a look at it from like a glass half full standpoint, you can say that he got the finish here. But it's against Crystal Orocho, who's like fucking 77 years old. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I spoke with one of my boys about this. My main concern with Arjun Buller in this fight is he's probably going to get a takedown. Let's be real. He'll probably get a takedown here. Uh, but. If that takedown is in the first round, he may be able to control Juan Adams. But one thing that was interesting in his Adam Wurzerchek fight that I kind of picked up on was that he had a lot of trouble controlling Adam. He had a lot of control, you know, or start, he had a lot of trouble trying to control him and stay out of submissions in that first round. He wasn't able to pass guard. He wasn't able to really land big enough shots on his own. He probably won that round simply because he had top position for a good chunk of that round. 
However, when he came up for the second round, he was very gassed. He looked very winded. It almost looked like he was wasting more energy trying to control Adam on the ground than Adam was even trying to, like, when Adam was, you know, doing what he was doing off of his back, which is why I believe he was eventually caught in that Oma Plata and then had to tap out and take his first loss. Juan Adams is a big dude, and I don't expect Juan Adams to be, you know, throwing up Oma Platas or, or making... Uh, or, or making Arjun think that he's going to you know, submit him off of his back. But I do think that uh, Juan Adams being as big and as strong as he is may make it difficult for Arjun Buller to control him on the ground, um, which we've seen, like I said, against Adam Wizardcheck, it's it, it gasses Arjun. So the one intriguing line in this that I think I may bet uh, is the fight doesn't go to decision. Even though these guys might gas... I think that Juan Adams, uh, if he's able to keep this on the feet, could probably put Arjun Buller out. Um, but if Arjun uh, is able to get this fight down in the second and third rounds, he could probably pass Juan Adams' guard uh, and kind of pound him out, get a TKO, maybe even a choke of some sort. So I think, you know, if the, it, it's currently an underdog bet for this fight to not go to a decision, which is, I think, currently around minus 110. Uh, and the... Um, the fight to go to decision is roughly around minus 130. But I am intrigued by the fight doesn't go to decision s- simply because of the Juan Adams ingredient here. Like I always say, there's only you only really need one guy to have the ingredient for a fight to never to go to a decision. And I think that Juan Adams is that ingredient here to possibly make this fight not go to decision. So um, in terms of bet... Again, I hate to pick against my 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 Punjabi brother here, but I think that Juan Adams is probably going to KO him in the first round. Um, yeah, he's just fucking huge. Like he throws a lot of. He needs to work on his technique a bit in terms of like tightening up his striking. Um, but just the power and bruteness alone, I think, is enough for him to get the W here. And I'm going to take him by first round KO. I really hope Arjun wins, though. <laughs> Next up, we got uh, Kyle Nelson against Matt Sales. Starting off with Kyle Nelson, he made his uh, UFC debut on somewhat short notice against Diego Fajera. Um, he lost that fight via second round ground and pound. Um, before that, he was pretty much whooping butt. Um, he lost his, what is it, his sixth fight, his seventh fight. Uh, but since then, he's managed to put together one, two, three, four, five, six straight wins, and then he ran into Diego Fajera, which was pretty much his, you know, his hazing uh, of getting into the UFC, which is a lot for most people who, uh, for who you know, make their UFC debuts. A lot of them are just short notice uh, hometown guys, and in this aspect for Kyle Nelson, it was a a short notice fight um, in Toronto at UFC 231. So he's fighting Matt Sales here. Um, it's it's an intriguing matchup. Uh, I think Kyle Nelson is very much being overlooked here. Um, do I trust him at dog money? I don't know yet. Um, it's a fight that I need to dig into a little bit more. I just think that Matt, Matt Sales might be the more uh, complete guy here. I think he has the better uh, wrestling. I think that uh, the stand-up is going to be slightly competitive, which might shock a lot of people. I know Matt Sales just came off. Uh, that decision lost to uh, Shaman Marais way back in August. And before that, he looked really good against Yazin Hajay. Um, I'm going to take Matt Sales here by decision. I think he's just going to grind it out. 
Um, again, I got to look into the fight a little bit more. However, I, I am definitely starting with Matt Sales here. But anything uh, worse than minus 200, I probably wouldn't trust him with, to be honest. Especially with, against a guy who has more experience. He may not have as much UFC experience. Actually, he pretty much has the same UFC experience as Matt Sales. But in terms of fights, Kyle Nelson is coming in with at least four or five more fights than uh, Matt Sales here. But I'm still going to take Matt Sales by decision. Next up, I know it says Nordin Taleb against Sierra Bahadurzada up there. However, it's actually Nordin Taleb against Kyle Prepelik. And, you know, the UFC website's so good at updating this shit that they got Kyle Prepelik's fucking photo up there. And he, he looks a lot like Sierra Bahadurzada, apparently. Regardless, Nordin Taleb coming off of two losses here. Uh, the first of which was against Claudio Silva. He got choked out in the first round. And then his next fight, he got ground and pounded by Sean Strickland and got put out there. So two unfortunate losses for Nardine Taleb. Uh, I thought it was going to be a very bad matchup for him against C.R. Bahadurzada as well. I think Bahadurzada probably would have put him out. However, he gets a very favorable matchup in Kyle Prepperlick here. Um, I'm very familiar with Kyle Prepperlick in terms of like as a guy. like He's a pretty cool dude. Um, I worked a couple of his fights um, way back in the day when he used to fight for the score fighting series. Um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued with, uh, how he's going to react with the short notice fight. You know, he was, he was prepping for a fight, um, in June against Mike Santiago. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, that's the guy in the UFC. Or was in the UFC. Anyway, Kyle Prepelik is coming off a finish of Scott Hudson way back in June of last year. And then he just beat Cody Fister by decision back in uh, March in a hometown fight for BTC5. Um, you got to go with Nordin Taleb here. Um, you could probably even use him as a parlay piece because he's roughly around minus 300 or so right now. But I think that Nordin Taleb is the much better striker here. I think that he's going to be able to put it on Kyle Prepperlick uh, and just make it look easy on the feet. Um, yeah, I, I just don't have too much to say about it. I got to look into Kyle a little bit more, but I do think that uh, Nordin is definitely the better fighter here. Um, yeah. <laughs> easy as that. Next up. We got Eamon Zahabi against Vince Morales. Starting off with Vince Morales. Poor guy had to go up against Yadong Song in his last fight. Taking an L there. However, before that, he was able to beat Justin Hugo at Bellator 205. He's taken on Eamon Zahabi here, who take, who seemed to have took off a little bit of time after getting completely getting his shit kicked in by Ricardo Ramos. That was a very bad knockout. I felt very, very bad for him. Um, that was way back... At UFC 217, which is when St. Pierre dethroned Bisping for the middleweight title. Um, you know, it's 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 a great thing when guys are able to take off so much time, um, especially coming off of such a brutal KO. This is roughly about uh, a year and a half that Eamon Zahabi took off, so I'm very happy for him. Uh, I think this is a variable, very winnable fight for him here, too. I think he, you know, he's going to have the better striking here against Vince Morales. Um but I think that he's. this is a fight that you might look to take to the ground and try to completely outgrapple uh, Vince Morales. So, current odds sitting at... Uh, what odds? Minus 162. I don't know. Probably a pass for me. Uh, we'll probably look into a little bit deeper, but I'm definitely going to pass. But I'm going to take Eamon Zahabi by decision. Next up, we got Macy Kiesin against Sarah Morass. 
a huge heavy favorite for me, Macy Kiasen. Um, I don't think she deserves to be that huge of a favorite. I think she deserves to be at least minus 400 or so, but minus 600 is next level shit. Um, she is still relatively green. You know, I mean, she's only four and zero, and Sarah Morris has a lot of. She has a lot of um, of experience here. I think that she could absolutely get out grappled and maybe even finished by uh, Macy Kiasen here. Uh, and I might even look at, you know what, I did not even look at what the fight doesn't go to decision props are. Minus 270, yeah, that's too much juice for a women's fight, to be honest. So I'm going to stay away from that one. But I don't feel comfortable even making Macy Kias in a parlay piece, especially at minus, again, 600. That's too much. If she comes down to minus 400 or something somehow, some way, uh, I would probably look at making her a parlay piece. But as of right now, I don't. But I love what I've seen from Macy Kiasen so far. You know, her last performance against Sheena Mazzini was just fucking beautiful. Um, you know, just putting it together in terms of her striking endless body kicks and then eventually, you know, rocking Gina and just following up and just pounding her out. Great, great performance for her there. Great performance against Patty Kianzad as well where she was just able to outgrapple her and then just get that rear naked choke. Um, I think this girl is destined for big things in this division. Um but, you know, they need to continue to bring her along slowly. And I think the, the Sarah Morass challenge ahead of her is a decent test in terms of fighting a vet, fighting a girl that has somewhat threatening uh, jiu-jitsu. So it's going to be interesting to see if Macy Kiesen decides to, t uh, you know, strike on the feet or if she's going to try to grind out Sarah Morass on the ground. But I think that she should go the route of outstriking Sarah Morass because Sarah Morass's uh, or striking is just absolute doo-doo. I think that she is strong. I think Macy is strong enough to keep this fight on the ground. No, sorry, to keep this fight on the feet um, and shuck off any type of um, takedown attempt that Sarah Morass tries. Um, but again, I would not trust her at minus 600, especially only being 4-0. But I'm going to take Macy Kiesen by TKO in the second round. Next up, Andrew Sanchez against debuting Marc-Andre Berriot. Uh, starting off on Andrew Sanchez, he looked great in his last fight against Marcus Perez, showing us, you know, as long as he can keep his gas tank good for three rounds, he can be a very dominant fighter. He does a, he does a great job on the feet. He does a great job of closing distance and getting the fight into a clinch position, which is probably where he's the strongest. And I think he's going to have the same success against Marc-Andre Berriot here. Uh, you know, it's it's. I think it's going to look like a similar fight to the Marcus Perez fight, uh, but I think that uh, Andrew Sanchez will be more um, effective and um, more successful with takedowns here. I could definitely see this as a fight where he tries to just take down Mark Andre and um, just grind it out. I think that's definitely the fight that we're going to see here. Uh, you know, I don't want to completely downplay Marc-Andre Berriot. You know, he's on a very impressive win streak right now, which is with eight straight wins. Uh, one of those coming against my man, uh, Todd Stout, which is, you know, uh, somebody that used to uh, train or still trains at the gym that I used to work at. Uh, but that was a, you know, that was a fight where Marc-Andre Berriot went up in weight class, fought the bigger man in Todd Stout. Uh, and even though he only came out with a split decision there, uh, he showed that his strength is definitely up there too. Um, the thing about Todd is he's just, he's mainly a striker. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he looked a little bit impressive in his last fight where he was able to win by submission, but he was definitely going to get all grappled by a guy like Marc-Andre Berriot there. Um, but I don't think that uh, MAB 
or AKA Power Bar, which is probably one of the weirdest nicknames I've ever heard, is going to be able to out grapple Andrew Sanchez. So I'm definitely taking Andrew Sanchez here, and I like him a lot, especially at that minus 137-ish range. Um, I'm definitely liking it. Possible lock of the night play, if not um, one of my first ever, not first ever, but one of my first regular bets that I'm going to make. I'm definitely going to play Mark Andrew Sanchez. Uh, I just don't know how deep yet. But I'm going with Andrew Sanchez by decision. Next up, we got Walt Harris versus Sergei Spivak. Yes. Walt Harris is coming off a victory over Andre Arlovsky, which was a split decision. I thought he won that fight regardless. That was back in December. Before that, he uh, finished Daniel Spitz. Um, and he's kind of trying to start to put things together. Uh, I'm very impressed with Walt Harris. Physically, uh, skill-wise, he's, he's slowly getting better. Um, he's fighting a guy in Sergei Spivak is a guy that I still need to look into a little bit more. I did see his fight against Tony Lopez, which is his last fight, and it's always embarrassing to see that neck crank victory, especially over a guy as, as weathered and seasoned as Tony Lopez. It's obvious that age is catching up to him. I think he's about 43 or something like that. But a uh, decent win for Sergei Spivak to show that he can hang in there with vets. Um, but he's been, damn... He fought even Travis Fulton, which is known as the um, the Iron Man of the UFC, or sorry, the MMA Iron Man. He's he has a record of two hundred fifty five, fifty two, and ten. Yes, take that in. You know what? I just don't even want to see the first time Travis Fulton fought. He has like the longest topology page ever. Uh, first ever fight, nineteen ninety six. And his most recent fight, he just beat Shannon Rich <laughs> at M1, uh, April 4th. That's nuts. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, so, yeah, you know, Sergey Spivak is coming off that victory over Tony Lopez. He looks decent. You know, I mean, he's still really green, in my opinion. These are a lot of, like, favorable matchups that he's had over the past little bit. Um, I think Walt Harris is really going to bring him out of it, bring it out of him here, and I think that Walt Harris is going to be able to get the victory here. Um, I want to look into it a little bit more, but this might be another play where I take Walt, Walt Harris here for a couple units. Next up, uh, another play that I'm very much intrigued by is uh, Brad Katona versus Mirab Devalishvili, starting off with Mirab. Uh, this is a guy. He he's eight and four, but uh, he his his. His skill set and what he brings to the table, I think, is a lot better than what an eight and four record shows. Um, he's currently sitting at minus one forty seven at Sportbet. Um, he is probably going to be my lock of the night play. That loss to Frankie Signs, very unfortunate. It, sh it shouldn't have been that close. Um, he definitely should have won that fight. Uh, the Ricky Simone fight, I thought he was winning that fight up until you know that technical guillotine choke that we want that I don't even want to talk about to be honest. Um, and then the Terry on where fight just shows who the fuck he is. I mean, probably the best cardio in the UFC. Cardio plus pace, insane. I think it's going to completely overwhelm Brad Katona. I think he's uh, going to be able to outgrapple grab Brad Katona here. Um, he's just going to outpace him. I'm, I, I'm confident in his chin and his submission, you know, his ability to, to fight off submissions. You know, say what you want about that Ricky Simone fight, but I don't think that Brad Katona is going to give him any problems here. Um yeah, fuck. I, I don't know what, what more to say about that other than the fact that I just really like Mirab here. I think that, again, cardio pace, um, grappling advantage, 
uh, he takes this fight. Simple as that. Lock of the night play. I am for sure making that on Narab Devalis, really. Next up, Cub Swanson against uh, Shane Hurricane, or Hurricane Shane Berger, so I should say. Uh, this should be a very fun fight. I'm definitely leaning towards Shane Burgos here. I think that, uh, you know, being the younger, more hungrier guy, you know, Cub Swanson, he may have just signed a new deal even after he lost to Hanato Moikano way back in August. Um, I just think that he's going to be the, you know, the sharper guy. Um, I think that, you know, it wouldn't surprise me even to actually see Cub Swanson go for a takedown here. I don't think he'll be successful with it, but I think that he's going to kind of try to test it out on the feet a little bit. But I think that once he feels that Shane Burgos power, I think that it's going to be a short night for uh, Cub Swanson. So I'm actually going to take Shane Burgos by second round finish here. Um, I think that just his craftiness, that Tiger Showman style, I think it's going to be too much for Cub Swanson, who is probably over the hill. Surprised the UFC even brought him back when was willing to bring him back. Uh, but I think he's on the tail end of his career while Shane Burgos is just getting things started, uh, not to mention that finish of uh, Kurt Hallibaugh, which was just an absolutely beautiful armbar. But I'm going to take uh, Shane Burgos by second-round TKO. Minus 172 is a little intriguing right now. I might play it, but, uh, yeah, I definitely like, like Shane Burgos here. <laughs> Next up, Coleman event, Derek Brunson against Elias Theodoru. Um Derek Brunson coming off that unfortunate loss way back in November of last year to Israel Adesanya where he fought like a complete idiot. Um, same with the Jacare fight, fought like a complete idiot. Um, but I think this is a favorable fight for him against Elias Theodore. I know the line's very close, r roughly around a pick'em, But uh, I think his wrestling um, and his striking... Uh, and ability to his speed and his ability to close distance is going to give Elias trouble here. You know, we know Elias' style. We know he just likes to pitter patter, uh, you know, walk around in fucking circles and and just do enough activity to sway the judges. And people can say about what they want about this be a hometown fight for him, but I, I don't think that Derek Brunson is, is going to allow it to be that close of a fight here. Um, yeah, that, that Brunson decision lost to Anderson Silva was probably one of the worst decisions ever, even though it was unanimous as fuck. But, um, yeah, I like Der Derek Brunson here. I think he's going to be able to even put away Elias, actually. We've seen Elias on Queer Street a couple of times, and I think that Derek Brunson possesses the power to actually put Elias out. So I'm going to take Derek Brunson by even first-round KO. I think he just completely bum-rushes Elias, cuts off the cage whenever Elias is trying to get away uh, and land the big bombs to get this fight uh, over with. That's it. All right. Last fight. Co-main event. Ally Quinta against Cowboy Cerrone. Line is very close. Roughly around minus 350. Or sorry. <laughs> minus 137 to plus 123. Um, fuck. God damn, guys. I'm pooped. All right. Let's wrap this up as nicely as I can. We got Ally Quinta coming off a victory over Kevin Lee in his last fight where he looked great. Um, he got taken down a couple times by Kevin Lee. No biggie. He was able to get back up. He was able to land enough damage on the feet uh, to get the victory there. 
We all know what happened in the fight before that with Khabib Nurmagomedov, where he took the fight pretty much on a day's notice. So I, I'm, I'm pretty much giving him a mulligan there. But if you want to give him anything, it's the fact that he was able to actually get to a decision with Khabib Nurmagomedov. So um, in this fight against Donald Sorney, a lot of people might say that Ally Quinta might be able to have the power to put Cowboy out. I kind of agree with that. Um, but Donald Sorney has shown a decent chin in his last couple of fights, you know. He has he's coming off that victory over Alexander Hernandez, which was a very big feather in his cap. He was able to withstand some of Mike Perry's power, and then Mike Perry kind of th- shot himself in the foot by taking uh, Cowboy Cerrone down. Um, I don't know, man. Cowboy, Father Cowboy is on some shit. <laughs> uh, and I think that he can make this a lot closer of a fight than most people are predicting it to be. Um, I'm going to take Cowboy Cerrone here by, by submission. I think that... Uh, you know, Ally Quinto might have some success on the feet, but I think that Cerrone's ability to mix it up with his kicks, punches, knees, um, and his Muay Thai, I think it might be the, the benefactor here for him to get this victory. Um, I set my alert for plus 150 on Cowboy Cerrone. I think that's a, a range that he might hit because a lot of people are big on Ally Quinto right now. Um, and I think we could see that kind of change. Uh, sorry, we can see the odds kind of swing more, more so in Ally Quinto's favor as the week goes on. So I'm going to be keeping my eye on that line for sure. Um, but I think this is a good spot for Cowboy, man. I, I'm not trying to downplay Ally Quinta at all. I think that, you know, the, the Kevin Lee win was big for him. Uh, but I think that just something about Cowboy, man. You, you got to st- Everybody's got to stop counting him out. Like everybody was on Alexander Hernandez and, you know, Cowboy Cerrone ended up coming out on top there. Um, yeah, I, I I can't get too much into it, but I'm definitely leaning uh, Cowboy Cerrone here. I would definitely play him at plus money. So I'm going to take Cowboy by third-round submission. Um, that's just hoping that also that Cowboy's chin holds up just as it has in the last couple fights. You know, he hasn't been put out since Darren Till, which is closing in on over a year and a half ago now. Uh, you know, he's gotten through fights with Yancy Medeiros, Leon Edwards, who's a pretty decent puncher, Mike Perry, who carries bare knock- knockout power, Alexander Hernandez, another guy with a lot of knockout power. So I think the narrative of Donald Cerrone's chin being shot might slowly be losing its 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 valor. You know what I mean? He went three rounds with Robbie Lawler. He, you know, I'm just saying. Uh yeah, so I'll definitely be keeping my eye on Cowboy if he hits plus 150. It could get there. It could not. I, I just I don't know for sure. But it's definitely an alert that I set for myself just in case it does. And that's it. I told you guys, this is going to be a relatively short episode. I got I got a big uh, big schedule ahead for the ne- for the rest of the day, but I needed to get this out for you guys. Um, unfortunately, for UFC 237, um, I'm going to have a much shittier quality version of the podcast, but I will record one regardless. Um, I'm going to record it once I get out to Saskatchewan. Uh, I'll just record it quickly on my phone, probably still get out at least an hour or so of content for you guys, uh, and then I'll post it up onto YouTube. Unfortunately, you guys won't see the pretty face of mine as always um however i still will have an audio version out for you guys to consume uh and hopefully help you with your bets but uh hopefully you guys took something from this uh from this episode uh look out on at uh, on twitter at mmalotn for the plays that i actually make for this week um nothing set in stone yet other than probably the mirab devalishvili fight um but again that might change too but i think i'm i'm confident enough in in betting him here in this spot um yeah, that's pretty much about it. I'm done, guys. That's it. I'm I'm fucking pooped, but I still got a full day ahead of me. So I'm going to try to end it before I faint or anything. <laughs> All right.
see you guys. Uh, yeah, I'll be, again, podcast uh, next week. Wednesday, I'm actually going to be recording the next episode of The Combat of Swords with Tony. So look out for that by the end of this week as well. Episode number three. Super excited to get into that one. But uh, yeah, until next week. Good luck on your bets. Hopefully we get the fucking green this weekend. Um, we can get right back on track. Good luck. See you guys then. Peace.